Hi, and welcome to episode three of The Nitpick with me, Ben. And me, Sam. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Titus Andronicus's new record, The Most Lamentable Tragedy, uh, which is one of my favourite albums this year. It's an amazing record. Uh, and you might not know the band, they're not one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, but it's a really, really interesting record, uh, so hopefully you'll stick around and uh, we can kind of delve into why it's such an interesting album. And if you're uh, inclined to kind of go and check it out by the end of the podcast, uh, I think that'll be our job done. Uh, Sam, I was going to say, ask you uh, what you've been up to this week, but we are actually recording this about an hour <laughs> after we finished episode yeah. two, the uh, the Inside Out podcast. Um just for kind of time constraints, and we wanted to kind of uh, get this podcast out there as well. So we've kind of done the double whammy, uh, but is there anything, aside from what you spoke about in uh, episode two, what else have you been up to lately? Well, um, last week I went to see Love and Mercy, which is the Brian Wilson um, biopic. Uh, yeah. Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was really impressive. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be, because a lot of biopics you sort of think like, oh, that's going to be a bit cheesy or like, oh, I know the story already and things like that. Yeah. Um, but like Brian Wilson did have an incredibly interesting life um, mm-hmm. and an incredibly interesting bout of mental illness, unfortunately. And they found quite a few good ways of dramatising that here. Um, yeah, it was it was split between the 1960s during the recording of Pet Sounds and the 1980s when he was sort of suffering from his mental illness and being manipulated by... And the doctor who served as his guardian. And in the 60s, he's played by Paul Dano. Um, he did a really, really good job uh, of, of sort of capturing the, the sort of tortured genius aspect of the character um, when he was recording the album. And then in the 80s, it was played slightly less successfully by John Cusack. <laughs> who was so good. Yeah, he, he sort of, he gave it his all, he was trying his best, it was a decent performance, but it was very, very John Cusacky. Mm-hmm. It's it's like when you have to, like a lot of the best performers in biopics, you know, you praise them for sort of really getting deep into the character, and he was just sort of doing his general John Cusacky shtick, he didn't really look or sound anything like Brian Wilson, or anything like Paul Dano as Brian Wilson for that matter. Um, but on the whole, it was very, very good. I was surprised. It was impressive. And yeah, from what I've heard, um, Paul Dano is one of those actors. Um, like apparently, in this, he really like disappears into that character. Yeah, like really embodies him. He's a, he's such a great actor. And I think the the theme of that uh, of that story and of Brian Wilson as a musician who kind of uh, explored his or kind of to some extent got his creative genius through his kind of mental illness will tie in very nicely uh, to the main topic that we're going to be discussing today. Um, I guess the thing that I was going to talk about for this as well also ties in uh, to that because um, I went last week to go and see Amy, the Amy Winehouse documentary, um, which is really brilliant and I mean, it's one of those things like, on the one hand, everyone knows the story of Amy Winehouse, but because she became such a caricature in the press and she became such like, like she was re- kind of turned into this list of cliches of drunkenness and the big hair and kind of like just being all over the place on stage that like, we didn't really know her because we never 
were p- given this portrayal of like who she was as a person other than these kind of really basic things that the media reduced her to um so from that perspective especially i mean especially someone who was alive uh, and kind of had this really really rapid rise to fame and then again quite a quick decline within our kind of lifetimes and within us like being interested in music um it was it was really interesting and she comes across as such a kind of like a a, a likable character like she's really dry and witty and like i i've always i've liked amy winehouse and never like delved massively into the albums um but it really explores her kind of her musical talent and her lyrics as well as being like just a super uh, like on the one hand quite poetic but also really literal uh kind of account of everything that she was going through um yeah like I've, you w- I've heard it's a really good film like it has been getting fantastic reviews and stuff but i've never would you say it was worth going to see because i've never been a fan of amy winehouse at all i was quite I, I didn't really get it when she was alive and then after she died it was a bit like oh you know people are sort of just venerating her because she's dead and i so I've never really bought into Amy Winehouse's music. Do you think it's still worth going to see? Does it still tell a good story? Even if it definitely bad? does. Well, especially because like she was, especially with her first album, like she she was a jazz singer and she yeah. was loving jazz. And there's like really heartbreaking stuff from her very early on in her career um, of like her being interviewed and people saying to her like, um, "What uh, if what?" Do you think it'll be like like if you suddenly get really famous and she's like oh like I just I don't want to be famous like I just I I just want to sing like I just like singing so I I don't think it's gonna happen I'm a jazz singer um and I just want to be able to kind of keep making albums and and doing this and obviously she did become this huge celebrity and it's interesting just in partly in terms of like a a, a portrayal of how we deal with celebrities and how that was a massive part in her downfall. Um, and in her kind of, she was like, because she was, she was mentally ill and everyone just like took the piss out of her and and laughed at her. And like, especially if you are going through like a really troubled time, the last thing you need is the world clamoring at your door. And there's like really claustrophobic footage of like her leaving the house and you see the intensity of the paparazzi like, uh, flashing bulbs. And even just in the cinema, it's like it's blinding, and you can't see what's going on. And like that just followed her everywhere she went when she was in like some of the worst places in her life. Mm. Um, and it's 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 really tragic because it tells it as a as a good story of like you see the moments where things like could have could have got a lot better. And I was really surprised as well at the end. I didn't really know the circumstances around her death. Um, and she like through the media she had such a reputation by that point that it was like you just go oh yeah she probably just like fell off the wagon again um and it wasn't it was like it was like a the the sense you get from the film is that things were kind of getting back on track and then um and she'd got herself clean but it it was kind of too much she'd like done too much damage to herself and um so that was really tragic and especially by it follows her a lot through the second album or her, well, her final album yeah. um, and all of her kind of relationship troubles and it's like ju- again the impression from the film is that like by the time that whole cycle was through the whole kind of album cycle she was like on the cusp of being ready to kind of go and just start something new and to start making more music and she had everything built up she kind of built herself back up to a place where she was 
ready to move on. So, like, by the end, you feel like there was so much more left to come from her. Yeah, because it, it was a long time between the album and our death, wasn't it? It was like, it, it really felt like like there was another album waiting to be brought out. Like, it, it just felt like she was working on something because it had just been so long. Definitely. And um, as well, something that shocked me as well, is like, like you forget how young yeah. she was. So she was 27, 27 when she died. But when she was making Back to Black like the the really big album she was like 22 23 and like i'm almost 24 now um and i just i'd never really connected that in my head because celebrities just become these figures that you see every day icons um so i think it does a really in summary (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot longer than i thought i would it it does a really good job of of humanizing somebody who was totally dehumanized Um, while she was alive uh, so even if you're not an Amy Winehouse fan or if you've never been that interested in her as a film it really works as a documentary it's really well put together and it it, it does its job in making you interested in her and making you see who she was uh, yeah so that was the nitpick episode on Amy the Amy Winehouse <laughs> documentary Sorry, we'll see you next week um, but it's funny that uh, without really thinking about it we both picked yeah, um, we both picked things yeah very relevant things uh, so uh, we're going to move on to the main topic uh, which is as I said this is the fourth album by a band called Titus Andronicus and it's called The Most Lamentable Tragedy um, and th- this is an album that I, I've been living with for a couple of months I'm a big fan of the band I've uh, been a, a fan for about five years uh, they're a, a punk rock band from New Jersey in America. Uh, in terms of the band itself, they've had quite a like rotating lineup through the years, um, and there's been a bit of a discrepancy of like doing what they do on the albums, and then when they go on tour, like it's a slightly different lineup. But the whole thing is headed by a guy called Patrick Stickles, um, who for me is is one of the greatest kind of uh, songwriters around at the moment. Um, so I've I've had this album for a couple of months. Uh, I managed to get a press copy in advance. Uh, Sam, you've had it for a couple of days. Couple of days. It yeah. only came out very recently. It was. I mean, Titus Andronicus are a band that I've known about for a while, mainly through Ben, <laughs> uh, and, and, and the sort of like, God, you should listen to Titus Andronicus. And I've never really got around to it. But then this album came out, and it it, it felt like something really big was happening. Like it's gotten some fantastic press and it's sort of like uh, the whole idea behind it and the scope of it sounded like something that I couldn't really miss out on um, so I got it a couple of days ago and it has been treating me quite well but I think it'll just be interesting to see the different perspectives from which we're coming to it. Yeah so I'm coming to it as a long term fan and who I've had a long time to digest this album and it, it, I think it, it is an album that takes a long time to digest uh, Sam doesn't know as much about the background of the band and you're coming to it fairly fresh so we've got two quite different perspectives uh, so I'm intrigued I, we haven't, we've purposefully not really spoken too much about this because I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts mm-hmm. um, so just to give a bit of background on the band uh, as I said this is their fourth album uh, and they're they are a kind of punk rock band. They have a lot of epic tendencies, uh, but they also tend to produce... Uh, they work in quite a lo-fi manner. Um, I came to them in 2010, five years ago, just after they'd released their second album, uh, which is called The Monitor. And for me, um, that's like 
the best rock album of the last ten years, maybe even longer. Like it's it is a, a monumental all time classic sort of album. Um, and I was a student at the time. That it was an album that came to me at a time where I, I really needed that music. I needed that album. Um, I I wasn't really in my best headspace at the time. And um, something that we'll talk about later is. For, for me, like Titus Andronicus are a really cathartic band. Um, and, uh, in some ways it's, their work is kind of, uh, therapy in music form. And I guess that's why their most recent album is a, a really appropriate one to delve into. Um, so this is Patrick Sickles, the front man, uh, delving into his, and exploring his manic depression. Um, so this is a concept album, uh, about 29 tracks long. It's 93 minutes. It's a, a big, big undertaking. Um, and it's a concept album about a character with manic depression. Um, and kind of him, uh, his cycle of, um, of highs and lows. So to give a kind of a simple overview of the, uh, of the story. It's kind of a, a Jackal and Hyde sort of story, um, in that we meet a protagonist, um, who is in a very low place and, um, uh, beginning in a kind of quite a deep depression. Um, and, uh, but the character meets a mystery man, um, who is kind of his, uh, his doppelganger, his, uh, kind of a, a sort of another version of him, um, who is very, outward and very expressive who brings him way up out of his funk um and implores him to cast off the shackles that external forces uh like uh doctors and religion have kind of tried to place on his life people who to quote one of the lines of the album want to water down the fire um and so it's about his battle uh, to understand and come to terms with uh himself and his doppelganger and uh, something handily referred to as something inside him which he can't control. Um, so that's the basic overall concept, and it explores this through this big long narrative across 29 tracks, complete with uh, what there's a cover of Old Lang Syne in there, there is a uh, a Pogues cover in there, a Daniel Johnston cover. Uh, there is a, a heck of a lot going on in here, uh, so we're going to try and break it down. It's huge. It is. One of the things that first struck me about it was it's not at all, it doesn't sound like, and it's not structured like how you would expect an album about depression or even about manic depression. It's like, when you think of that, you know, if you're like, oh, it's an album about depression, I'm thinking a very sort of introverted, like acoustic guitar kind of low tempo thing. And this is really, by and large, it's very, very abrasive, very high tempo. And, um, it is. It's epic. Like epic is a word. It's it's a big, big rock it's album. It's huge. It's sprawling. It's really extroverted, and it's it's like applying these epic tendencies to something that's so insular as a topic, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the thing is, so I, I explained. I was talking to Sam about this kind of saying. This is kind of what the album's about, and um, you were like. Oh, I'm I'm intrigued to see how I handle this because I'm not actually that big on concept albums. Yeah. I think one of the things here is that there's um it's definitely even though the main character it sa- it says in like the press notes uh that the central character like oh it's it's not Patrick Sickles but it is 
uh, kind of it is him. It's based on his experiences. It's, it's called. It's a very personal album. It's called. We refer to him as the hero, right? With like yes, our letters, hero, so like our name. hero, capital O, capital H. Yeah. Um, it's the sort of thing where it's even though it's a concept album, it's not the sort of thing where it's like, right, I've got this crazy story, and it's about like some some like crazy mystical person in a land far away and then they like go and they're trying to find it not in like a prog rock sense of like just being totally out there and it's like they've come up with some random story even though it's a concept album it's like a very personal album and they're songs that you feel like he would have written anyway and it's it's playing on themes that have come up in the band's other albums yeah but in its most kind of focused state there's there's hardly any songs on there that are just there to serve as the story and that are really narrative like the songs themselves are mostly just sort of dramatizing these emotions and yeah like you said it's the kind of songs that you would write anyway there's like only a few of them which are there for the sole purpose of like telling part of this story about the doppelganger etc so going from there um do you I mean, from the times that you've had a chance to listen to it, has anything like really stood out to you as, as kind of favourite tracks? The opening salvo, well, the first tracks, The Angry Hour, is sort of an introductory, like an intro track. The yeah, next... there's a few tracks on this. I think once you take out all the kind of interludes and bits like that, um, it's like 21 tracks overall. I think once you've taken out all the kind of bits and pieces. It's the, after that, The Angry Hour, which is the introduction, the first four songs are just it's an incredible like opening salvo it's a brilliant like uh, i think it's no future part four stranded on my own lonely boy and i lost my mind they're just very very tight songs which work very well in and of themselves Um, and it's a good way of sort of easing you into the album before some of the more conceptual and weird stuff starts getting brought into it yeah, and as much as you say easing you into the album, like, what a <laughs> yeah. way to throw you in! Like this is yeah. it's like a full-on um, kind of uh, they are big in-your-face sort of songs to grab your attention right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we should say that um, the the whole thing takes place in five acts, so it's split up. Um, and it, again, like one of the things that's great about the album is that you could listen through to the whole thing um, and take no notice of that. And it is still an amazing album, but for the purposes of the concept, it's split up into five acts, and you, that's basically the first act, isn't it? That yeah, that you've kind of delved into there. Yeah, and I think most of that, mainly because they're at the start, but I think most of my favourite songs fall into there. I think "Lonely Boy" and "I Lost My Mind" are particularly great. Those um, are those are two of my absolute favourites as well. Yeah. They stood out right from the beginning. And then later on, "Dimed" is it "Dimed Out." Dimed out, out, which was the first single. I remember um, when that was the first song they put out, and uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. They 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 announced a long time ago um, that um, that they were going to be doing this like thirty song concept album about manic depression. And as soon as you hear that, you're like, "Whoa, okay, this is going to be nuts." And um, and then I didn't. There was nothing about it for a long time. Um, and it got to the point where I was thinking, I wonder if that's still happening. Like they were doing, they were doing pre-orders for it on their website. They're like very, very DIY in their approach as a band. So they, he was like uh, doing pre-orders for the album before it was even kind of going, um, and then that disappeared from the website. And I was like, I wonder if this is still going to be happening. And then um, the album was announced, and they put out "Dimed Out," and I listened to that song, and I had tears of joy in my eyes like that is a, a full on like I mean the, 
the phrase itself, dimed out, is a kind of reference to everything, everything up to the maximum. And for three minutes, like, it's everything pushed, pushed to the top. It's super anthemic. It's like insanely energetic. It's the sort of song that makes you feel like you could just like run and run and run. If I was ever going to run a marathon, um, <laughs> I, I feel like I could put that song on repeat for the entire 26 miles and I'd be done in like an hour. And it's actually the, the first time that I listened to this album, I listened to the last sort of half hour of it while I was running. And um, it's, yeah, the first half would have been a lot more appropriate for that activity because <laughs> when, you, when you get near the end, there's some songs that are like, I don't know if this is good or bad, but it's definitely going to stick with us. Like Stable Boy, which is the last proper track. Heartbreaking. It is. Absolutely heartbreaking. It, it sounds like almost horrible. Like it's almost like it's it's difficult to listen to. It's like beyond lo-fi. Yeah. It's, it's like one of these things. What, what instrument is it? It's like some kind of organ. This thing is like, is it like a clav- clavichord? I don't know, it's something like that. Yeah, um, it's, it's an instrument that you don't hear much of anyway, possibly for good reason. It's really like difficult to listen to, but at the same time, it's quite a beautiful melody. And um, the the lyrics are sort of uplifting and life-affirming as well. Definitely, definitely. As much as it's uh, as the album is called The Most Lamentable Tragedy, there is there is this real glimmer of kind of hope and light at the end. Uh, that it ends on after quite a tumultuous uh, story. I, I agree with you about um, Lonely Boy and I Lost My Mind, um, which come right towards the beginning of the album. And Lonely Boy is amazing in that it's uh, it's like this big like epic bar brawl sort of track. Like it's a bar rock song. Um, but the lyrics are all about how he doesn't want to go outside, he just wants to stay inside and be on his own, and, like, hearing people talk makes him feel sick, mm. and he doesn't want to go out, so it's, like, this real, like, lots of the album's, like, quite is quite witty, um, his lyrics are really witty, and, like, this discrepancy between it being, like, a big extroverted song about being super introverted and not wanting to go anywhere, I think is really kind of funny, and, um, uh, I lost my mind. Follows that up, and it's like uh, I saw. I can't remember where I saw this. So apologies uh, for kind of ripping this off somebody. But someone said it's like it's like a buddy cop thing <laughs> uh, where it's him and and his mind and the concept of like uh, losing his mind as a physical thing. And in fact, I'm gonna. I, this is not really boring, but I've got two two of the verses here that I want to read out because I just think the lyrics are so good. Um, and it was something that really, really stood out when I first listened to the album. Um, and again, we'll, it kind of links into how um, how personal an album this is. So this is one of the, one of the verses. Uh, so he says, It was 1989 when I lost my mind for the very first time. I went down in the mine. Going down in the mine, I didn't know what I'd find, but whatever I'd find, I'd say that it was mine. And I brought a little bird, and it was short-lived. And I lost my mind when the little bird died, because as I stopped to cry for the little bird's life, for the moment, my mind was out of my sight, and I turned back around to a terrible surprise. I had lost my mind for the very first time. And in terms of timeline, that links up. Uh, apparently, Patrick Sickles, when he was four, uh, only four years old, he was uh, put on Ritalin. And I think that had quite a profound effect on him. And he's spoken in the past about um, about how because of because of the effects of Ritalin and its, its chemicals going into your body, he's felt unsure for a lot of his life about 
the authenticity of what he's feeling. Uh, and then there's another kind of uh, verse, which is, again, like, on the one hand, it's like, it's really quite quaint in the way that it depicts this awful thing that's kind of quite funny and really heartbreaking at the same time where they kind of reconcile briefly Uh, and he says uh, so I went back to where I had last seen my mind he was sitting right there with his eyes real wide and looking into mine said I apologise but being confined is something I cannot abide but if you'll take me back we'll give it one more try then we hugged high fived and stayed up all night in the lights, I realised they were all just lies. He had robbed me blind and hadn't said goodbye. I was too desirous, so unwise. I got excited and I lost my mind. Why, oh why, must I lose my mind? It's like, oh, I just I, I just think that's a really brilliant way of him expressing mm-hmm. something that's like really awful and really traumatic in a way that's that's quite quite weirdly funny, but also like super sad, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's all. I think it's all such an interesting approach to the subject matter, like musically, musically and lyrically as well. Like the the way, like going back to something like Lonely Boy, how it apply it like applies the tropes of genres like punk rock to something that's so insular. It's like abstract expressionism. It's like a Jackson Pollock painting. It's like just throwing these like very personal emotions at the wall in this very aggressive way um like like the way it's, it sounds like because the whole to me because i don't have many punk touchstones the whole thing to me sounds like the clash like the 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 style of the guitars and the vocal stylings and the way they sometimes bring in things like brass and other instruments as well it sounds a lot like the clash but of course they their music was all very very political it was heavily politicized um, and but that, that's not what this is about. It's a, this is just about him. It's just about how he feels. But they're using this musical language, which is, is from like protest songs and stuff. And it's just, um, it just turns these emotions into something much more, you know? Well, it, in some ways, it, it, like it does, it feels like a personal protest. And yeah. A lot of the, yeah, exactly. a lot of the, the kind of, um, the story of the album is him kind of, uh, not only coming to terms with himself, but also trying to like shake off these kind of external constrictive forces of, of like I mentioned, and like linking back to what you're saying about Brian Wilson about um, about being medicated and about that like being a cage for something that is an inherent part of him having to be confined, and the build up and the eruption of that coming out and the damage that causes is political in a personal sense. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's punk on a micro level. It's punk turned mm-hmm. inward. It's like, cause these, to all of us, these emotions are just as important as anything else that's going on out, that's going on out there in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And he sees everything through that, that kind of prism as well. I mean, yeah. So we're going to talk about kind of other like concept albums as well and other other bands that influence on this album because they're as a band they are very open about their influences and um especially i mentioned there's a daniel johnston cover on here and uh to be honest i i don't really know much about daniel johnston but he is a a fellow artist with uh manic depression and i think he's sung a lot about his experiences with the illness and uh to kind of go into what you were saying about stable boy at the end and how the recording is kind of super raw mm-hmm. 
apparently that is how Daniel Johnston recorded a lot of his music. It's very lo-fi, and that was kind of a direct kind of shout-out to him. And another fun fact, which, again, will tie into something I'm going to bring up later, is that that was recorded on the uh, recording machine, whatever, that they used to record the first song on their first album. So it's a very kind of cyclical sort of thing. Um... Uh, yeah, so, yeah, in terms of influences, uh, they, there's a lot of shout outs to Daniel Johnston. There's a Pogues cover on here that comes directly after a song that it is itself very Pogues y called Come on Siobhan. Yeah, I was, um, when you hear that there's a, a Pogues cover on the album, not being very familiar with the Pogues, I thought that Come on Siobhan was the Pogues song, but it's not, it's the one after. It's the Pair of Brown Eyes, which yeah. again, I, I, when I first heard that, I didn't know that was a Pogues cover, and that was, that's one of my favourites on the album as well, actually. Like, it's so, it's, it's so high energy, and like, it really kind of goes out there. It's a lot of fun as a song. Uh, and also, I think this is, uh, because of the whole New Jersey connection, they got, they get uh, described to Springsteen a lot, and they're, uh, he's one of my, favorite favorite artists um and it's always been a kind of tangential link in that there are there are influences there but this is definitely the most overt sense of that i mean you listen to something like um like fatal flaw which is another Mm -hmm. of the singles and uh i mean even uh even lonely boy the kind of bar rock and there's a oh god the right the best one of the best moments on the album for me is in lonely boy it's about five minutes long and about four minutes in um it really kicks off at the end, and that is signalled by this long, like this big saxophone blast that just goes like, <laughs> and it is amazing. And it's like it's like Clarence, yeah. uh, Clarence Clemens from the E Street Band. Like, um, so there is there is more of an over influence of that, uh, and as you were saying, like the Clash as well. Uh, what 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 else were you going to throw into the mix? You. Well, I think, see, again, not a massive Springsteen fan myself. Whenever I hear saxophone on a punk song like this, I think Extra Specs, um, the original sax punks. Um, yeah, it's, and, and again, though, they're very sort of politicised as well in their music. Um, so it's interesting hearing these tropes apply to something more insular. And I, I found, like, the scope of some of the songs, if not the music, would remind us of, like, late 80s hair metal as well. And or there's just this sort of like arena sized um aspect to them. There's there's definitely a bit there's a like a breakdown, mid song breakdown in um She Said She Said uh-huh. which starts off the kind of second half of the album. There's there's a one minute fifteen second interlude in the middle that is just total silence, there's like a breaking point in the middle of the album. Uh and then after that she said she said uh, and there is a big kind of breakdown in that, which is really heavy and quite sludgy, which is something they've not really done before. They've they've kind of in the past mixed the the punk rock side of things with kind of shoegazy elements, um, where it's a lot of kind of noise um, and kind of quite droney sort of noises. Um, but they've not really done that kind of really big, heavy sort of riff before. That's quite a new area mm. for them. Yeah, and a lot of it felt slightly like the, the, some of the riffs are very reminiscent of like old rock and roll music and like honky tonk music as well. Yeah, and, and I think that that is more explored in this one, and that's kind of an influence from their previous album. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, just to kind of contextualise a little bit again, so the the first album is very kind of is quite is pretty lo-fi. It's quite raw production. Um, and there are there's lots of kind of individual themes, but there's no overriding theme. And then they put out the monitor, which is like a 
two concepts in one um, about Patrick Stickles moving to Boston um, and having a pretty terrible time and then also drawing from the American Civil War and using those as like intertwining metaphors. This, the new album is like obviously so big and it's like, it's 30 tracks and it's such an ambitious concept and there's so much going on. But also the monitor is like a really, really kind of monolithic sort of album. And after that, with their third album, uh, Local Business, they stripped everything way, way, way back. It was a much smaller album, which in some ways was a good way to go because it's like they, they didn't try to top and outdo the monitor. They just did things in a different direction. And that took a slightly more like, like rock and roll, like, like a vague kind of, yeah, 50s, 60s rock and roll element that they hadn't really had before. But I feel like that's more fully realized in the new album um so they've kind of expanded on that um from where they'd previously taken it yes i I wanted to just compare it to some of the concept albums like recent concept albums and see how it stacked up um because and they're like tellingly all of my examples are hip-hop slash r&b <laughs> but that's that's just what i listen to but i think you, well you'll be familiar with these as well so i'll just talk mm-hmm. about that Cool. Right, strangest for me, like strangest concept album from the last few years. That I just really didn't get was uh, because of the internet by Childish Gambino. Yeah, I didn't really like. I I like Childish Gambino, but I never kind of had the time to set aside to really yeah, dig into that. I found it, it quite was, difficult. I mean, it's like you were saying before when you take out. There's like thirty tracks on this. When you take out all of the um, all of the sort of weird like. Or, or fillery or like intermission tracks, you get it down to about 21. On Because the Internet, there's like maybe five songs on that album that are actual songs. There's again, <laughs> there's 19 tracks on Because mm-hmm. the Internet. And if you take out the ones that are just like bizarre, like high concept rubbish, you're left with like <laughs> five or six proper songs. It's weird. And it's, and that was another one where, um, the protagonist is like called the kid, I believe. Um, it's not Childish Gambino himself, and it's the 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 concept of it's just so opaque, and it, that really harmed that as an album because there was like a great like five song EP in there of Childish Gambino songs, and it was but you just couldn't listen to it as an album; it was impossible. It was so opaque, like an unsatisfying sort of album. Yeah. Um... I'm just going to throw out here, just in case there's any kind of cross wires. Um, this isn't uh, the Titus Andronics album is not an unsatisfying album no. for me, anyway. It's like it's a very satisfying kind of work in its own right as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, like you can you can take almost all of the tracks from it and listen to them on their own. It's just yeah. great songs, um, which is more similar to me to um, like. Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. Yes, um, yeah. Where like almost all of that again works independently, um, and I think I, I mean hip hop really is quite a good genre for a concept album because it's got a great history of like narrative songs with like clear stories to them, and that's what like Kendrick does on Good Kid, Mad City. Um, it's it's a really easy to follow narrative. Whereas I think the narrative on Titus Andronicus, if you hadn't told me what it was, I would have been lost <laughs> on um, well. And the most amount of tragedy. The good thing is, um, uh, you know, genius, formerly yeah. rap genius. Uh, so in the run up to the album, Patrick Stickles put all of the lyrics up 
onto Genius, and he has done extensive, extensive annotations on them, which which does help break a lot of it down. Yeah, I was reading some of those before I came on. The um, oh yeah, the the ones to Stable Boy. Oh, I was going to say the ones to Stable yeah, Boy. Amazing. He, he's um, annotated the word "we" with. This is the sound a horse makes, and, then, <laughs> and there is a there is a meow. Yeah, this is well. the sound a cat makes, and tweet. Yeah, it's the sound <laughs> a bird makes. Um, um, so yes, yeah. yeah, so some of the annotations more useful than others, but it is great um, that they've done that. There is also uh, he pointed out that pounding the trouser snake is <laughs> masturbation. See, <laughs> uh, really, really useful. But they, it is it's very deadpan. It's yeah. very kind of uh, yeah. I think it's the sort of thing where the concept breaks itself down the more you listen to the album, mm-hmm. and um, it's the sort of record that the first time I listened to it, and I know the first time you listened to it, it's the sort of thing where you sit down and you just you just listen to it. And uh, if you buy if you buy a physical copy, um, it's got all the lyrics in there as well, really beautifully presented. Uh, the vinyl edition is amazing. It's three LPs, um, like a it's like a book. It's like a whole book. It's like so chunky, and it's got all the lyrics written out. And um, it's a great way to listen to it for the first time. To like to just listen to it and to read through the lyrics as you go. And um, but it's an album for me that really grows when you just you have it on in the background, and then different bits jump out and different songs jump out. Or yeah. sometimes because it's so long. Um, sometimes I'll start listening to it from the halfway mark, and then suddenly some of the stuff in the second half really snaps into focus and really makes sense. Um, so I think I think the narrative gets a little bit tricky to follow towards the end, but um, towards the beginning, especially the more you listen to it, um, it's it kind of it really all kind of slowly slots into place. Um, I think because the themes uh, the themes just gradually emerge, and then the themes give way. To how the narrative explores those themes. Yeah, it really rewards repeat listens because I think if you do sit and listen to it and like deliberately, like when I sit and I first listened to it, I was I was there with the lyrics and trying to figure it out as I went along, and then I think with the second half when I was um, outside running and I was just listening to that, it sort of sank in a bit more. So I think you're right when it's when you're not focusing on it deeply. It can sort of worm its way in your mind. And yeah, it's a bit easier to follow. Yeah, it re- it really does. Um, there's uh, and there's lots of uh, the thing is if we go a little bit more deeply into the um, into the concept, uh, there there's lots of lyrics that um, that are repeated or little phrases or refrains that kind of come back. Um, and another thing that kind of comes up again and again. Um, is this concept of the dungeon uh, that the the kind of the dark force inside him is a dungeon or a mine? And um, I mean, uh, we spoke before in uh, I Lost My Mind, where he's saying kind of I bought a little bird and it was short-lived, and they're going down into the mine um, to kind of confront this thing that's inside him. Um, sometimes referred to as the dark dungeon, uh, and at the end when. Uh, when it's kind of approaching its resolution and it's a kind of final showdown uh, where he's going to confront himself. Uh, he says, I'm going down in the mine just one last time. And there's, there's so many things in this album where it kind of, it just, um, everything ties into itself so nicely. 
Uh, yes, yeah, so, and there's a track called uh, Sun Salutation as well. It kicks off the second half of the album that just repeats glory to Ra over and over mm. again. Um, and that kind of links into this, the, the fact it's a very cyclical sort of album. Um, and there's a sense, um, it f- kind of follows through the seasons. So at the start, it's winter and he's talking about being frozen and being kind of constrained and weighed down. And then as he kind of, uh, meets this opposing force and begins to free himself, um, his state moves, it kind of moves into the heat of summer and being fired up. And, um, and then towards the end, about three quarters of the way through the album, there's a track literally called the fall as it kind of descends back down towards kind of, uh, winter and towards his kind of more depressive and less manic state again. There's so much that's tied into that. that I, I have not really noticed brilliant. that at all. So you you mentioned to me when you were going to first listen to the album, you were like, um, "I'm going to sit down and listen to it with the lyrics and a bag of Doritos." Yeah. Um, what flavor should I get? <laughs> and I said to you, "You should get a bag of Cool Original and also a bag of Chili Heatwave." And have them both at the same time, one in each hand. And you literally did that, which yeah. I'm very pleased with. So it starts, it starts off in a, to kind of take this metaphor to a Doritos sort of thing. <laughs> it starts off as cool original, probably goes up to the cheesy one. Alright, um, oh, okay. And then into Chili Heat Wave. Right. And then kind of back down towards cool original. Um, and then it ends on a note of hope. So what, what Dorito flavor most says hope to you? I'm going to say barbecue rib. Barbecue rib because it's one that we haven't touched upon yet. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's the only one left on the pile. And it is from, delicious. Yeah, the jalapeno ones, but they're, oh they're God, too... Oh, those are brutal. They're too spicy. Uh, yes. It's, it's like it's like reading Ulysses. It, you need... You, like, Ulysses by James Joyce, it's such a dense book full of, like, symbolism that you just wouldn't get. So nowadays, nobody ever publishes Ulysses without including Joyce's notes to it in the front mm. and his like breakdown of it um, and I mean I mean no one ever reads Ulysses unless they're studying it at university anyway but you just <laughs> couldn't it, it, and the fact that the, it, this is a lot like that it has different acts and it has different seasons and um, I think at least looking at the lyric sheets and stuff is absolutely essential to figuring out the meaning of it you need a key there's a part of me that when when we say this like it sounds boring as hell. It sounds like it's not. It's and it's not. It's at really all. enjoyable on its own, apart from that. But mm-hmm. it's just it's a, it's a more enjoyable. It, it, if you want to get the whole meaning out of it, then um, then you, if then it's it's there. It's rewarding to look into yeah, it. Rewarding is the word. I think. Yeah, you can get it on its own, but if you really want to, you can look into it, and it rewards deep sort of thoughts. So speaking of rewards, something I wanted to bring up that is um, often quite like a sticking point for for a lot of people with this band is uh, Patrick Stickle's voice, which is really is very raw and very throaty and very hoarse. And initially, it's not like it's not especially orally pleasing, orally in the A U R sense. Um, it's it's it takes a bit of getting into. But I I have a thing about about his about his voice and his lyrics. Um, that I think is really important to kind of enjoyment of this band and um, why why to me they're really really special. So at the risk of sounding like a total idiot, I find I find his voice it's like a a conduit to his emotions. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like 
a lot of their music is here is kind of him expressing frustration and anger and all these kind of really big emotions and like i'm not i'm not genuine generally an angry person at all um but this, no like, that's true like <laughs> super i'm like i'm cool original i'm not chilly heat you're wave. so cool original um I'm despite not being cool or particularly original. Um, <laughs> I remember one time when a, a, a drunk dude was coming after your girlfriend in a bar and you told him to bugger off. I did tell him to bugger off. He did need to bugger off. And then guess what he did? He buggered right off. He buggered off. So it worked. That is the angriest um, you've ever been. Mm hmm. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not an angry person, but like the. The like the really surging kind of fiery quality in his voice is like super powerful, and when I listen to that music and when it really gets me, um, like it makes me channel those emotions. Like like when I say I listen to Dimed Out, and it makes me feel like I could run a marathon mm. like that. Like it's it's like it it's music that like it fills you up, and it's his voice that is the real key to all that. Like, and because because it's more difficult to get into and it's not initially clear what he's singing and it's like really raw it makes you lean harder into the songs to get something back and then when when the when the melody hits you because especially like even though he's not the best at uh, getting the melody out there lots of the songs are really melodic um, when the melody hits you and then when his lyrics really click with you and then the way that he's singing these lyrics and how like passionate and how it's a hundred percent it's all in like it, that's something that's so rare and that really really like it powers me like that is why this band is amazing his vocals the thing that are initially the thing that's hardest to get into um are the thing that make this so worthwhile and i think he is an amazing frontman and especially like with this album and with the monitor they are albums that help you his expression of these emotions helps you deal with your own emotions and that is so cathartic and very rare and something that I think is really very special about this band I'd like to lower the tone a bit and come at his voice from a slightly different angle (laughs) as somebody who's not, not really listened to the band before I kept getting when he's not roaring and growling I hear and I mean, no disrespect by this, I hear SpongeBob SquarePants. Like <laughs> SpongeBob, <laughs> his voice sounds I, quite... like the voice of SpongeBob. I, there is there are nasal elements. Yeah, it's, uh, listen to it again and look for it, and give each song like a SpongeBob written for how much he sounds like SpongeBob. <laughs> there are some absolutely. He could be in a pineapple under the sea. Stable boy. Stable Boy is five out of five pineapples. On the SpongeBob, yeah. On the yeah. SpongeBob scale. And that that's sometimes drew me out of it. He sounds a lot like SpongeBob. Well that's ruined the album for me. <laughs> <laughs> um uh one more thing. Thank now that Sam has lightened the tone, I'm going to weigh it right back down again. Or or just take it to a new place. Um so something, if you are uh, a long-term listener of the podcast, and by long-term I mean you've listened to the other two episodes. Yeah. In episode one, uh, we talked about Ant-Man and about the Marvel films and about how you brought up this like critical theory about this dude saying that when you've got a series like The Matrix or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that um, obviously the films work in their own right, but we should be viewing these things as part of a larger tapestry and that um, 
we are creating things that have more relevance in a wider context when viewed all together rather than solely as individual elements is that about is that about right yeah 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 mm-hmm. so i'm going to draw this in to titus andronicus as a whole uh and say um because there is a lot in this album that draws on their previous work like i've mentioned that i'm going insane is a song that was on their last album personally yeah. i think the new version is even better the guitar solo is amazing uh the final song on the album linking into the whole cyclical nature of the album itself the final track is recorded on the thing they were used to record the first track on the first album uh there are two tracks here the opening track is no future part four uh and there is also uh t- towards the end the kind of second last substantial track is no future part five um and on the first album there is no future part one and two and on the monitor you get no future part three so it's part of this kind of overall kind of interlinked sort of um sort of thing between all their albums and i made a little playlist of no futures part one to five and listen to them all and it was really revealing in that you know we were talking earlier on about how this is an album where like it's a concept album and it's digging into into this kind of story and this concept but also it's like a personal thing and it's something that he would have written about anyway and he has written about before and listening to no future part one two three four and five like the the stuff that he tackles on the first three no future songs are seem to me to be about depression and manic depression mm-hmm. um and so this new album is focusing so much more deeply on these things that he's expressed in elements through his previous work so uh as a kind of slightly lofty thing to uh suggest i think this seems for me to tie into what whatever professor guy was saying um (laughs) sorry mr professor man for forgetting your name um but this ties into being a wider piece of work within their back catalogue and that's again another thing that's not wanky but just like rich and rewarding so in in the sense that these songs work very well on the songs on this album work very well on their own but the work even better as part of the larger conceptual whole the album itself works better as a part when taken as part of their whole catalogue it really does it's like uh it feels like a kind of summary of everything especially because it's got there's some of it that is so raw that does come back to the the kind of lo-fi-ness of the first albums and then it brings in some of the kind of more rock and roll kind of 50s Mm -hmm. 60s rock and roll sort of elements that they tried in the third album and it, it just brings everything together and harks back to the old stuff and I'm I'm just in awe with what they've done here, and especially because Local Business, the third album, drew things right back down to a like much more stripped back level. That they've come back with something that is so full and so bursting with so much, but is also just an amazing album full of massive rock songs. I think it 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 blows my mind a little bit, um, and that's why for me this is. Uh, probably my favourite album of the year so far and uh, I think Dimed Out is one of it's probably the best song of the year and one of the best songs of however many recent years because it came out like four <laughs> months ago maybe three or four, no, no like two or three months ago and that song first came out and it still like hits me so hard now uh, yeah so sorry I brought everything way back down again uh, but I like this band. They're good. 
So, uh, yeah, so have you got anything else to add, kind of in summary of uh, The Most Lamentable Tragedy by Titus Andronicus? In summary, when I listen to this album in the future, it will probably be as a playlist of about 10 tracks. I think it'll be rare to find me sitting down with the whole album again. But having said that, it does work very, very well as a record and as an achievement in itself. It's like, um, you know, 69 Love Songs by The Magnetic Fields. I know of it. I've not actually listened to it before. Yeah, it's like that is an incredible achievement as an album. You've done an album with 69 Love Songs on it, (laughs) but I'm I'm never going to listen to all 69 Love Songs again. I'll listen to maybe 20 of them. Um, well, it's similar with this. It's a brilliant achievement, but I'm probably going to listen to it more as a sort of abridged mm-hmm. playlist. Cool. Um, well, I hope this has kind of uh, been an interesting listen for people. And if you're not familiar with the band, I really implore you to kind of give them a go. And um, I just think they're a really s- genuinely special band. And this this record kind of totally proves that for me that they are kind of. They'll they'll be remembered, and um, if you get the chance to see them live, they're really fun live as well, so highly recommend that. Um, yeah, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode, and uh, hope you'll join us next time. I think episode four oh. is going to be fantastic, shall, shall we, we say, say. <laughs> uh, as we talk about the new Fantastic Four film, and that is yeah, bound the- to be one hell of a discussion the wildly successful new film um, from Fox, The Fantastic Four. It is, if you've been getting sick of us these last three episodes just talking about things that we really, really like... Strap in. Tune into the next It's going to be a rocky ride. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that'll be episode four. Um, In the meantime, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the Nitpick Pod. Um... Uh, we'll be when it comes up to Fantastic Four. We'll be asking for questions about Fantastic Four, about Marvel, etc. So please do send us your questions. We'll give you a little shout out and uh, answer your questions as best we can, or with as many uh, digressions as possible. And uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we're on the iTunes Store. The nitpick. Uh, subscribe, and you get all the episodes as they come. Uh, and you can also find us on SoundCloud. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.